Any of you watched the World Cup over the weekend? Or no, since Brazil is out. You know, America, Brazil, England now, they're dropping like flies, I'm telling you. But uh, we watched a little bit, a little bit of the France uh, against England game. And I'll just, I'll be honest, I was not rooting for France in that game. But they won. But you know what we are rooting for? For the gospel to advance in France. And I love it. Janelle, I mean, a young lady, but she's got a willing heart. She says, Lord, take me, use me. Off she goes. And because churches like us who, who agree to the same statement of faith, the core beliefs, we say, hey, let's partner together. Let's give so we can train missionaries, so we can get them to the field, so we can support them and see churches grow and see missional movements start. And I love that. Whether you're single, married, no matter what age you are, no matter if you feel like, I don't know if God can use me, um, let Janelle's story encourage you. That what God is doing here, he's doing in France, he's doing around the world. This is his mission. It's his great rescue mission, as you can see from our, our key graphic. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating a baby that's come in a manger. Looking forward to that moment, we're talking about thousands of years of anticipation, of prophecy, which is God foretelling through his word, through his prophets, this is what will come to pass, and it does indeed come to pass because God never lies. And imagine all of the hope that rests on those promises, bound up. So when that baby is born in that manger, I mean, this is all of human history culminating in this moment. And then Jesus outshines even that with the cross and the empty grave. He is the Savior who's come to restore justice, to show mercy, to show the righteousness of God towards sin, all of it. And Christmas is the evidence of God's unwavering commitment to the mission, to do just that, to rescue and restore. So God, metaphorically speaking, because he doesn't have arms, he's not, he's not a physical being like us, but God rolls up his sleeves, he gets down to do the dirty work, he makes every sacrifice necessary to win his people, even though it takes them all the way to the cross. This is the hope that we have at Christmas. So we're spending our time each week this month looking at different aspects of God's rescue mission and to understand our mission as well, what that looks like to find our life in Jesus. Our Savior has been born. Our God keeps his promises. Last week, Pastor Dennis kicked us off going to Isaiah 7 and 9. We looked at the identity of our Messiah, didn't we? We saw the sign that there will be a child born born of a virgin and back then they probably thought okay you know a young lady you know just just a young lady because that's what virgin also means and then god blows us away and says no miraculously this child will be virgin born his father is from above so he's fully god and fully man that's his identity so this week we're looking at what was god doing why did we need a savior what did he come to accomplish before we talk about hope and joy and peace, you're telling me we didn't have hope and joy and peace before the Savior came? And I titled this message today, Far as the Curse is Found. And it comes from one of my favorite Christmas carols, Joy to the World, which we will sing tonight. Love that song. And, and one of the verses, I think it's verse 3, says, He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. That's what God was doing. So our main point for today, if you're taking sermon notes or you just want to file this away in the back of your mind, God is on a relentless mission to rescue his people and undo the damage 
of sin. So turn with me to the book of Genesis. The very beginning is a very good place to start. Is that right? What Julie Andrews sang to us uh, in The Sound of Music. Man, that movie's, that movie's real old now. It was old when I was younger. I watched it, but it's, it's, it's an oldie but a goodie now if you got the four hours to, to put into it. So if you turn to Genesis 1, just briefly to, to fact check me and make sure I'm speaking the word of the Lord, not my opinion here. Genesis 1, God creates all things out of nothing. Because the only thing that existed before creation was God. He created man and woman in his image. He called man and woman to uh, glorify him, to reflect his glory in a physical way, and to fill the earth with worshipers who also would, would fill the earth. They would have children who would glorify God and so on and so forth. There was only blessing in the garden and in God's perfect creation. Then you get to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and God defines this relationship and sets a boundary. He commands them, verse 16, you can eat of any tree in the garden, so many to choose from. And there's no fruit rot here, so, so you can have as much as you want. You'll be fed well, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And this is how God works in his covenants in the Old Testament. He says, here's the path before you. Walk this path and be blessed. This is my word. Follow it. Enter into relationship with me. But if you choose to go another way, then only cursing will follow you there because I'm not there. You're choosing your own way. So here's the, here's the boundary. Here's the line. Follow me and heed my word. And of course, they do not. They're tricked. The serpent comes. Satan comes. And he manipulates and he questions and he tricks Adam and Eve to thinking maybe life is better apart from God and doing his will. So they eat. So we get to Genesis 3. There's a curse. There's results, consequences from sin. Verses 14 to 15, read along. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, okay, so, so a war, <clears throat> war between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and the childbearing. In pain, now, you shall bring forth children. And your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree, I commanded you not to eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will come up. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam and Eve walked with God and reflected his glory and enjoyed him and would have enjoyed him forever. And now because of their actions, they have been brought so low all the way back down to the dust. God told them, you choose this path, you will surely die. And he was right course because he's God so we see first of all why do we need a savior at Christmas because number one the curse and sin well sin and the curse wrecks everything 
sin makes a wreck of everything. That word curse, actually let's talk about sin first. So, so we teach our kids, what is sin? Sin is anything we say, do, or think that is contrary to God's word and who he is. Right? That's what Adam and Eve did to sin. No, God, I'm not going this way. I'm going this way. God says I'm only righteous and true. They believe a lie. Okay? So sin is the opposite of God, which isn't that crazy? Even at, at the definition of sin, it's not like Satan gets the glory or anything. It's, it's just the opposite of God. So sin is, is not this mysterious force out there. It's an anti-God attitude. And so God says an eternal no to that way of living, which is curse. The word curse is arar. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's a divine judgment for breaking God's law. It's used 55 times in the Old Testament. So if someone tells you, you know, God doesn't judge people, well, God definitely judges sin. God definitely curses that way of living. That is absolutely true. That's why we're in the mess that we're in today. And I know it doesn't make for a good Hallmark movie, okay? It, it just doesn't. It doesn't flow well with the plot line, but it's true. Psalm 53 and Romans 3 and so many other passages make it absolutely clear there are no righteous people on this earth. Not now. The line of man has failed and has fallen and is flawed and is cursed. We are depraved. Depravity doesn't mean, oh, I'm, I'm as evil as I could possibly be. No, I'm not, I'm not saying every single person on this earth is a, is a serial killer. Okay? But depravity means that sin has worked, at least I hope not, okay? Sin has worked its way into every crack and crevice of the human life and experience. Every aspect of creation, everything is affected by sin now. There's no headline you could read that should surprise you. There's sin in our government? <laughs> the world is having issues with hurricanes and, and, and plagues and famines? Oh, this is so shocking. Is it though? Because we chose this life apart from God's blessing. So, so curse affects everything. God says you'll surely die. So now our bodies will inherit sicknesses and diseases and death. When we return to the dirt where God wanted to lift us up, we said no. And we go down. So depression, anxiety, worry, and fear. Not all that is sin. But those are effects of having a fallen body. A mind that is not perfectly made after God's image. God didn't make us so that we would be depressed all the time. We recognize that's the brokenness that we're in now. We need hope, and we can't just fix it ourselves, even in your marriage relationship. Now there's, there's competition. There's competing desires. Butting heads. Not in your marriage. I'm talking about your neighbor's. Okay, right. That's not, that's not, of course it is, because we're all fallen, we're all messed up. And even then, the ground fights back at us. Instead of now where Adam cultivates the ground and everything's great and fruitful and beautiful, everything he touches you know, doesn't turn to gold, but he's got a green thumb. Now there's thorns and thistles and we're sweating our tails off. It's not easy and sometimes the, the reward is not worth the investment. Everywhere you go, there's there's sin. Yeah, I mentioned this before, but Lacey and I have taken a trip to Israel. It's called the Holy Land, right? Did you know even in the Holy Land, there is sin? A lot of it. It's just like every place else on this earth. It's a misconception to think, oh, there's this blessed, magical place. There was just as much sin as Jesus' day as anywhere else in any geographical region. Uh, region. 
I'm actually a little embarrassed to admit this, but um, even if there wasn't sin in Israel before we got there, there was one day on our trip where our tour guide decides, you know what, we got a lot to see today. I know you guys have been walking around in the sun and sweating, but I think we're going to skip lunch today. We're going to keep on driving. We're going to go to the next site. That was the last thing that Josh wanted to hear because Josh likes his food. Josh likes to eat. Okay, that, that, don't let that surprise you. If you'll get to know me, you know I like some good cooking. I like some good desserts. Okay, so we drive through, and we go see all these other sites, and I'm getting crankier and crabbier, and I could use a Snickers, but there was none available. We couldn't even stop at a gas station. Like, we're going, going, going. We're starving. When we finally stop, we stop at McDonald's. Okay, great. You should be able to get a pretty affordable meal, fill up. It was $30 for a cheeseburger meal. Granted, their burgers were a lot bigger than ours. That was good. But $30, no way. So I get like a, a chicken tender meal. It ends up being a kid's chicken tender meal. And so I even walk away from McDonald's hungry. And now I'm, I'm hangrier and I'm cranky and I'm, I'm, I'm miserable to be with. You can ask my wife about it. She'd probably, she'd probably tell you. So even if, even if Israel was the Holy Land, by the time I got there, trust me, folks, there's, there's no holiness left there. Because my sin came with me. And what are the consequences for this? Can we just fix ourselves? The hammer, nails, some good works? No. You see at the end of chapter, th chapter 3, verse 24, God drives them out of the garden. There's no longer fellowship with God. We are so messed up and God is so holy and perfect and good. There's now an eternal separation, a gap that cannot be bridged by human effort or works. And worst of all than that is to be separated from him for eternity. We're told in several passages, but in Revelation 20, that there is an eternal lake of fire, a judgment place for those who reject God and embrace their depravity forever. To be cursed is to be cursed forever. And now we're told that there are 8 billion people in the world Eight billion and 157,000 or more die every day and enter eternity. This is a huge problem. The darkness is overwhelming and it's beyond our reach and power to change. Yet in the darkness, there shines a light. We have a cause for hope because we see, secondly, there will be a Savior who reverses all of the effects of sin. Look back at verse 15. This is the, a, a small promise that plays out for the rest of the narrative of the Bible. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You know what, Satan? You're not going to get the last lap here. Evil is not going to win the day. Kind of reminds me of that video that, I don't know if you've seen this, of the Florida man who his puppy gets snatched by the alligator and it's pulling the puppy into the pond and the owner goes in after it and wrestles that puppy free from the gator and like, you know, smacks in and, and freezes, saves his puppy's life. It's, it's crazy. It's, it'd be a scary moment for sure. Man, he wasn't gonna let, he wasn't gonna let that gator drag his puppy down. That's, that's crazy. That's my puppy. Even more so is how God looks at Satan. He's like, you think you've got humanity all tripped up, don't you? You think you're going to take them all down to the grave. I've got news for you. I've already struck the crushing blow. You just don't even know it yet. 
God is in control of all of this. So what he says is, I will send a descendant of Adam who will crush you. That's a mortal blow. There's no recovery from that. There's no coming back from that. He will rescue my people. Isaiah chapter 9. He's going to be called Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Remember those names from last week? Here's an incredible verse in that passage. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is committed to his mission. You can't stop him. You can't frustrate him. You can't slow him down. He's persistent. He will redeem his people. It's his passion, his focus. It's how we see how beautiful God is through the redemption of his people. And as you read through scripture, and maybe you're going to start a new Bible reading plan in January. I hope so. I hope, hope you have some kind of structure to how you approach your Bible study, whether it's a book, whether it's a, um, a reading plan through an app. That's what we use. We use version. It's been so helpful for us. But you'll see the descendant of Eve that crushed the snake was not Cain, was not Moses, was not David, was not Abraham. The line of man keeps failing, but God keeps his promises and provides a Savior. Who is the Savior? Now turn to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. Who is this that can deliver us from such a crazy mess that we're in? He's one of us, but he's also from above. Matthew 1, verse 21. This is the angel speaking, and he's speaking to Mary. He says, uh, she will bear a son. I'm sorry, he's talking, he's talking to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So right there, you have the name, and you have the meaning of the name. You know what Jesus means? It means God is Savior. It, 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 it has a, um, I guess, evolved word form all the way back from the Hebrew Yeshua and then in the Greek it's pronounced Jesus Jesus also you know, Jesus now would be uh, in our, um, our our Latino dialects and then in American or not American English <coughs> Jesus same meaning God saves so no matter what nation you're in no matter what time period God saves God is salvation so my name Joshua that's that's an Anglicanized form of the Hebrew Yeshua same thing it means God himself is Savior so here you have a baby born this is God God is Savior God's gonna do it he's rolled up his sleeves but he doesn't save his people with brute force he's gonna punch the serpent in the nose no it's clear he came to suffer. He will have his heel bruised. That also is a mortal wound. But not one that's going to trip him up for more than three days. <laughs> right? There's a big difference between a crushed head and a bruised heel. Jesus came to die on the cross to take the weight of the curse. To take the weight of all of our sin. Came to die. Revelation 13, 8 tells us that the Lamb of God was slain even before the foundation of the world. This was always plan A. That should blow your mind. Wait, 
God, this was your plan all along, but you created everything perfect. But Adam and Eve chose to sin. How would you do that? It's God. This is who God is, is what he does. Satan comes and he manipulates and he thwarts and he tries to, to destroy. This has been the plan from the beginning. So even death itself now actually holds hope for us because Jesus died to save us. Isaiah 53.10 tells us it was the will of God to crush him. So he wouldn't have to crush us. What love he has for us. The innocent lamb of God would choose to willingly suffer and die. To go all the way down to the ground, to the grave, to bring us up. That's our Jesus. That's our Savior. And he tells us in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The gospel. This is life. This is why I came. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll. And he sits down. Like he's done. He's got one more thing to say. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled you're hearing today good news has come there's hope for today for you because Jesus is here so that tells us a lot of things about God and about ourselves. only God can reach the invisible places of our heart to offer forgiveness to cover us with his grace the blood of Jesus can trickle down into every crevice of our heart and the depth of despair and every effect that sin has on us. Forgiveness is invisible because it's a work of God miraculously changing the heart. It's not too hard for him. His forgiveness is the undoing of the effects of sin on our lives. It's God releasing us from the effects of the curse. God's grace is so powerful and so free. All I have to do is admit I'm a sinner. I have issues. I am wrong before a holy God. And I believe that Jesus is the Savior who came to take away my sins. And he rose again. And in him I'm forgiven and I have life. Here's the thing. God doesn't just do away with our sin in forgiveness. He restores us. He lifts us up to heaven. Revelation 21 says that I am destined for heaven, my home with God forever, where there's no more tears, there's no more pain or death or sin or sorrow anymore. He's making all things new. That's his promise. That's my future. That's a whole sermon in and of itself as we look forward to what God has in store for those who love him. And that is why I love the local church so much. There's a connection between the invisible work of God and the church because it's the gospel made visible. Forgiveness happens here. And because of God's forgiveness, we love one another. And week in and week out, we are a, a people gathering in God's name. And we go out, we share the good news. We are imperfect people, but we can brag on God's grace. And if you have followed with us from our launch on September 18th, We've been going through our three core values as a church. Jesus is always first and foremost to us. He's valuable to us. And we look to his teachings and, and who he is and why we follow him. 
Secondly, we looked at our community. How is this community of faith formed? And then as a community, we go out and we reach this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the mission of God. That's what we're in right now. December, Christmas is about the mission of God and how Jesus is our living hope. But you cannot skip over community in order to reach a needy world for him. Community is what allows us to operate, to love, to grow, to disciple each other to strengthen and encourage each other on life's journey and to continue to reach out. We can reach more people together as God undoes the effect of sin on our lives. In fact, I had a seminary professor named Dr. Burgraff, and I'll never forget this, this one thing he said. The whole Bible is the story of God's unatoming of everything. So through the Holy Spirit, God is working a change in our lives. He's transforming us so that we're not the selfish, sinful, wicked people we used to be. We are now children of God, loved by Him, who are thinking more like Christ, who are loving like Christ, serving like Christ. This is who we are. This is who He's making us to be. And we're committed to making disciples because we know God's grace is so sufficient for every part of our life. His Word can change every part of our life. His Spirit can reach even the deepest, most ingrained parts of our nature to loose the effects of sin. And we're committed to seeing the gospel change one another completely. It's a holistic transformation. So point number three, we see that we are called to continue the mission of Christ. Jesus is good news. That good news cannot stay with us. Matthew 28, 17 to 20. This is the Great Commission. Jesus says it's by his risen authority that we go and we make disciples of all nations. And the Father sent him for this mission. Just in case you thought when Jesus ascended back to heaven, oh, mission is complete. No, 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 no. His work to redeem is complete on the finished work of the cross and the empty grave. But he works through us to continue that story so that people and everyone everywhere can hear the good news and they can experience that life change as well. John 20, 21 is where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you to the jungles, to the beaches, to the forest, to the mountains of Nepal, and the highest peaks, joy to the world. A Savior has come. And there's no better time for us to share the truth than at Christmas. I've tried to think through as a pastor how do we help each other live on mission this Christmas? How do we make disciples? How do we embrace the mission of God and join Him in that work? Because wouldn't it be amazing if the gift that you gave this Christmas was leading someone to eternal life in Him? You introduce somebody to Jesus. What a gift! And so, your pastors have prayed about it, and, and we say, hey, there's four key ways that we would like to engage our church to live on mission this Christmas. Because the mission continues until Jesus comes back. First of all, personally, we have invested and purchased some resources called Christmas Tracks. T-R-A-C-T-S. don't know if you're familiar with them or have used them before, but they have the gospel recorded in them. They're little pamphlets, and, and they tie into the theme of Christmas, and they explain 
what Christmas is all about. So you can go out and you can start a conversation with somebody about Jesus, about the hope you have at Christmas. And then when you part ways, you're not able to take the conversation further. You don't even know this person, perhaps, and then they're going back to their home or their business. You can hand them a track, and that has the whole good news of Jesus in it. And then also it has our church information on the back. So they have a means of following up and getting their questions answered and, and connecting with us in the future. If you don't carry business cards with you, here's a way to, to maybe follow up with them. So we have dozens of them on the back table. Please get some on your way out or come see Pastor Josh or Pastor Dennis. And let, let us know you would like some. We'll get them to you. We also thought, number two, we'd, we'd like to have a relational way for us to connect and, and reach people for Christ. So tonight we have Christmas caroling in some of our church members' neighborhood, and we're going to share the love of Christ through Christmas songs and singing and caroling and shaking hands and, and sharing some refreshments together. You literally just have to show up tonight at five o'clock and, and dress festively or not. You can sing or not, but just come and build relationships with people in the community. And what you're doing is you're helping the gospel to advance. You're helping people to connect to a healthy local church. And when a small group starts up in that neighborhood in February, they already know some of the people who are going to be there to greet them and show them from the word what this Christian experience is all about. Thirdly, we wanna engage our entire community. So we're having a, a, a Christmas Eve service early on December 20th. It'll be at six o'clock at the Lakewood Ranch Town Hall. And we are going to worship Jesus together, but we're also going to uh, have some fun and share some, some treats and, and connect with people and talk. And, and we'll have an indoor snowball fight for the kids. And, and you have an opportunity to be a part of that. You show up. You share it on social media, the, the event on our Facebook page. Get the good news out that Christ has come. And together we worship. We don't get to worship Christmas Eve or Christmas Day because the school does not allow us to meet at that time, and, and God just worked it out, so we're going to meet on Tuesday night, the 20th. So next Sunday, and then the 20th, those will be our last opportunities to worship at Christmas together. So I want you to be there. I want you to bring your whole family. I want you to bring your neighbors. We have invitations. Get those out. Share it on social media. And fourthly, and not to be discounted, because this is a far-off place, but to think globally about the gospel spreading around the world. You cannot travel to India, or Japan, or Ireland today and share the good news of Jesus. But what you can do is you can give towards our missions offering. In December, we're taking a missions offering called uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, named after a famous missionary who changed a lot of people's lives back in the day. Uh, or we just call it our, our Christmas Mission Offering. And Southern Baptists collect all this money through December, and it goes towards missionaries who are on the field. So taking care of their needs and their families, purchasing gospel resources, Bible translations in foreign languages, all of that. The offering goes towards that. I encourage you to give. You can engage. You can have an impact globally, even though you're staying here in North Sarasota. We might be a small church, but friends, we are a church committed to joining God on mission. We're going to equip each of you to spread the joy of Jesus this Christmas. We want to see more healthy churches take root in this community, beginning with ours. Now, that's a lot of optimism. That's a lot of hope. It's a lot of good things that God has in store for us. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling to see the hope. 
you have seen some effects of sin lately or the brokenness of this world, it's hard to see past the evil to the good. So maybe you're here this morning and, and, and it's really difficult for you to forgive somebody. You're, you're bitter about something. You are hurt about something. I want to encourage you, based on the grace that is offered through Jesus, you can choose to forgive and that will show that the, the power of sin does not hold sway over you and over your relationships. Because forgiveness doesn't hurt. A lack of forgiveness does not hurt other people. It hurts us. So let God's grace untangle those fingerprints of, of bitterness from you and allow you to live freely as a child of God. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's you're burdened or weary or frustrated about yourself or you're worried about the future. You've realized there's not a lot of hope to be found in the day in and day out busyness of life, but thank God you were never meant to be the hope, and your career was never meant to be the hope. So sometimes that frustration can cause us to turn our eyes back to what really matters. The God who never stops pursuing us. The God who never stops loving us. We can repent of trying to be self-sufficient or trying to figure out things on our own and, and give that to God. Let him do a work in your heart today. So whether it's a lack of forgiveness, whether it's a lack of faithfulness or whatever your need is this morning, we want you to see how much God loves you, that he is on a relentless mission to rescue his people and undo the damage of sin and to make this world new again one day. Do you see that? Do you embrace it? Do you have the hope of Christ this Christmas? However he directs you to respond, I'm going to invite our worship team up here in a moment and they can lead us in our first song uh, or in our closing song. And as we do, I want you to cling to that hope and allow God to change you in whatever that need might be. We saw that the sin and the curse tried to wreck everything. We also saw that we have a a faithful, pursuing Savior who reverses all the effects of sin. And we can embrace his plan. We can live on mission this Christmas and continue his work. Let's pray.